0: Let's get our Bibles out and open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, you can uh, just grab that hardback Bible in the pew rack in front there of you and just turn to page 1188. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, you're still new to finding places in the Bible. It's just important. I try to give you the page number because it's really important for you to Follow along. First of all, uh, usually if I'm reading a passage of Scripture, um, you know I want you to realize how unbelievable and amazing what the Bible has to say is, and I want you to know that it's uh, what God says and not just what I say. And so you can look right there in Luke chapter six and see for yourself these amazing, incredible words that come straight out of the mouth of Jesus as we uh, ask Him to help us this morning to figure out what in the world does He mean when he says these words. But first I just want us to think for a moment about a few things. Let's, let's set a context before we dive in. When, uh, when I became a Christian at age 25, um, I, my conversion, my coming to Christ, was, uh, was my, it's my testimony. And that's the way it happened for me. And some of you are like me. You went from utterly unchurched and utterly uh, oblivious to the things of God uh, to having your eyes opened and you are a child of God. And it was just from one extreme to the other. Many of you have had the awesome privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian home. And so for you, there wasn't this drastic transition because you grew up around Uh, church and around things of God and some people brought you to church as you were growing up and that's not a a less spectacular conversion it's a in fact there's a lot of uh, that's how I've raised my children and I'm so grateful for that I I certainly didn't want my children to grow up the way I grew up and so we're all different and unique But in the course of our conversion experience, what happens is is that the way we come to Christ and sort of the way we grow up, it impacts the way we then approach the Christian life or sort of resolve uh, the the, the Scripture and and where do we go and how do we get there from here. And so for me, I didn't know anything about God at all. And my life is radically then turned upside down. And so I'm voraciously reading the Scripture, trying to sort out, you know, what do I do now? My wife is is pregnant with our first child. I grew up fatherless and and basically just, you know, uh, on the street with no... uh, And I knew that that God had a plan for parenting and he had a plan for families, but how was I going to sort that out? And how was I going to figure out what to do and and how to get there? And I guess the, the, the thing that was wonderful for me is that because the the Bible didn't have any context in my life. When I read a passage of Scripture, it would literally be the first time that I'd ever heard those words in my entire life. And so I would read things with new eyes as a saved child of God for the very first time, and I wouldn't have any ideas about what that meant. I would just look at the words on the page, think about what those words say, and then try to say, God, now how do I live that out? What do I do with that? And I think in that way, uh, I've been very blessed because I don't have to overcome any sort of cultural biases or any... I don't read things uh, and, and think, oh well, I remember when I was a kid and somebody said this or somebody said that. And so I remember reading these words in Matthew 6. I mean in Luke 6. And I remember just sitting there and thinking to myself okay based on what I understand about what has happened to me that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm clearly not the person I used to be that everything about me has changed my whole way of thinking and everything is now new but how do I deal with the people around me and in particular how do I how do I deal with these children that are that are careening my direction with every passing month it was closer to the birth of my first child the more anxious i got about not being ready for that not understanding what to do so i want you to look with me in luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 43 just a very short passage luke 6 43 jesus is preaching a sermon uh it's it corresponds with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Some people call this the Sermon on the Plain, uh, but it's, he's teaching about life in the kingdom. And when he gets to verse 43, he simply makes the following statement, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's pray. Father, we stand before your word. And Lord, we know that this is your word. You spoke this word into existence. And Father... We know that it's perfect, errant. that it's meant for us, that we need to understand this today. And so we ask that you will come and help us, that you'll speak into our lives through your Holy Spirit. Father God, that you'll take command of my lips and that you'll give each one here ears to hear and hearts to receive. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, Jesus says that Jesus has a way of simplifying things that are seem so utterly complex to us. Because together, relationally, I mean, we are so complex. There's so many different dynamics that are going on in, in our relationship with our spouses and our relationship with our children and our relationship with other people. And But Jesus is so very, he just breaks things down to this simple statement. And he just says, well, there's... There's good trees and there's bad trees, and you can know them by their fruit. Okay, I got that. And I could think about that for a while, and I could think about what that means, and I could think about all of the various implications of why did he choose to use the analogy of a tree and its fruit, and why is that such a common metaphor through Scripture. And then he says, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And I remember thinking how I knew that I was in Christ. And I knew that I was a new creation. But what I wanted was I wanted my children to bring forth good. They were sort of on the forefront of my mind. But I was also thinking about my wife and my relationship with her and and about other things. But how how do I instill this reality if this is true... If, if a good man or a good woman out of the good treasure of their heart brings forth good, but an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, almost uh, probably 90% of the time when we're together, I'm preaching through a book of Scripture. I'm preaching from one end of Luke to the other end or Nehemiah or Galatians or whatever it may be and so that's how I would prefer to preach because I feel like that's the way the Bible is meant to be preached I don't think that you should sit every uh, week and just hear whatever soapbox somebody happens to be on saying the things that they want to say but every once in a while like right now there's a little four-week window where we can have this conversation that I call blueprint for life and we can talk about various things and I've been wanting for quite some time to have this conversation because I, I feel like it's it's no coincidence that we have the blessing of having Mother's Day followed by uh, baby dedication today, with an Awana ceremony tonight. That's going to be a very exciting time. And then next Sunday morning, we'll be celebrating the graduating uh, all our graduating seniors. And so those things coming in a row. And I felt like it was a great opportunity for me to just take four Sundays and say some things about families that I've really felt led to tell you. And I think this morning represents what I wish I would have known early on in my parenting journey. Especially for those of you in the room that have small children. I really hope that this morning is... uh, something that really resonates in your heart because I believe that it's a very life-changing reality. And if there's anything that I could say to parents, it would be the things I'm going to say to you this morning. And I have learned most of those things by reading the Bible. And also, I think the best uh, place that they're all sort of pulled together is in a a book by a pastor named uh, Ted Tripp. He, He wrote a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And there's Uh, several Sunday school classes here that are going through that material I think one right now currently and there's another class that's going to be starting uh, in a few weeks and I think it's one of the best parenting books that's ever been written and it will it will make the things that are true in God's Word come alive in your life uh, when you read them and so I have read all of his material on parenting and that's where I have uh, pulled all of these ideas together that I'm going to share with you this morning And I would say to you, the books are available in the library for you to to get. Many of you have them. But what I've learned as your pastor is that a lot of times you get excited about something and you get a book about something, but you don't always read it. Or you go home and you look in the table of contents and you pick a chapter that you think is going to fix the immediate problem that you're facing and you read that chapter. And so... I have read all of the material and I want to try to help you this morning and hopefully be a blessing to you. What we'll talk about is going to be very helpful for parents but for all of us as we relate to each other to understand the way God made us. So what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 6 is simply this. That the heart is the source of everything that we say that we desire and that ultimately we do and we react on. That the source of everything in our life that transpires so that any your relationship with your small child, all of the things that, that come out of them that they do and that they think and that they feel, all come through their heart. And the same thing is true about your marriage and all of your relationships is that human beings are designed by God to live from the heart. So whatever is going on in the heart is going to determine everything else that's going on, your actions, your reactions, your responses, your behavior, the choice of words that you choose to use. Um, All of those things are going to be caused by primarily what's going on on the inside of you, not what's surrounding you on the outside. Now certainly the external forces that work around you are going to affect you and they are going to impact you, but they will never override the heart. The heart is the preeminent source of everything that comes out of us as human beings the Bible will basically breaks uh, humanity down into two basic components now there are variations within the components but basically there's the outer man and the inner man those two parts the the outer man would be the physical self it's the it's the body it's the housing that God's given us to house the heart and what's within um, sort of like uh, if you think about a, a, an astronaut wears a space suit. Well, uh, as a human being on earth, we wear this, this outer man suit. It's, an, it's our earth suit that house our, houses our, our heart. But the inner man is where the Bible really focuses. And the Bible uses different terms like mind, emotion, spirit, soul, will. All of those various components. But they're all in some way connected to and woven through this issue of the heart. It's sort of a... All of those are terms that can be collected together into the heart. The heart is the the core of our personhood. So when you think about your relationships... If you think about your children, if you think about a strained relationship that you have within your family, you need to understand something that all of your endeavors to resolve or to fix or to, to, or to you know, uh, change the trajectory of that relationship, if they're not primarily focused at through the heart, it's not going to yield any lasting change. The, the heart is sort of the, the steering wheel of our lives. It will determine where we go and what we do and who we become. Proverbs 4 says it this way, keep your heart with all diligence for it is for out of it spring the issues of life. I mean that's a that's a just a ginormous statement that out of this one thing are the issues of life. I mean how do you well, I mean, if somebody says well what are the issues of life? Everything is the issues of life. I mean, everything about us are, the, are, are somewhere in that category of the issues of life. And where do they come from? They come from this one singular place, the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we want to know, see, isn't God good? Because we can't see into the heart. We can't, we, we don't know what's going on in the heart. Even if you go to the, the, the hospital, and you have some you know, high-tech procedure done, and, and they scan or EKG or something like that on your heart, all it will do is give you the physical information about your heart, but we can't know the spiritual information, but God gives us a way. He gives us a, a, a spiritual EKG, if you will, and it's the mouth, that the mouth will always sell out the, the hidden reality of what's really going on inside. So you should be grateful for that. We should be very thankful for that. Because if that weren't true, we would be in a real quandary, wouldn't we? We wouldn't have any way of knowing what was going on in the lives of the people that we love. But because of the mouth, if we listen with right ears, we can hear correctly, and we can then be clued in to what's going on. And so according to what Jesus says, when we seem to slip up and say things that we don't mean... and We say those things, then we come back and say, you know what, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Well, Jesus says, well, you might not have meant to say it, but it's in your heart. It didn't just come out of nowhere. It came from somewhere. That whatever comes out of your mouth, it comes from your heart. Now, you may regret saying it, but it came from your heart. You may be sorrowful that you said it, but it came from your heart. That whatever proceeds from your mouth comes from your heart. There's really no loophole. There's no way around that. You know, this is a, a principle that is just universally true across life. You, you don't have to be a, a Christian for this to be true. It's true of all people. That whatever's in their heart will comes out in their mouth, and so sometimes in a in a secular environment, a non-Christian environment, you'll have people who, who maybe you know who abuse drugs or drink alcohol, and when they do those things, and all these things start spewing out of their mouth, and then there's little phrases that people use, like, "Well, that's the alcohol speaking" or "the drug speaking." No, it's not. It's still the heart. What the alcohol or the drugs has done is it's taken, away the, it's taken away the resistance. It's taken away the filter. But if it's coming out of the mouth, it comes from the heart. Now, that's just a, a, a hard pill sometimes for us to swallow because all of us uh, have said things that we regret saying. And some of you maybe right now are sort of still sort of feeling the sting of that. And so you're pushing back in your heart against what I'm saying. But listen... Jesus is very clear. He just simply says, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's not giving you any qualifications. He's not saying that it's, you know, if you're mad, it doesn't count. Or, you know, if you're, if you're half asleep, it doesn't. listen, if it comes out of your mouth, it's coming from your heart. You know, I, I just don't think that many people today believe that. You know, if, if you're, If you're around somebody who you would consider to be an angry person or maybe you yourself or somebody that you find you struggle with anger and you, someone comes to you and they say, well, you know what, where's all this anger coming from? Why are you so angry? The first thing that typically will happen is that we start saying, well, I'm angry because and we start talking about all the external things that have made me angry. But the external things may have, may have been in your life, and they may have played a role, but the anger is not external, it's internal. What's making you angry is that you're angry on the inside. That's why anger's coming out, that it's not some other person that has made you angry. They've done things that have brought you into a place where you've opened yourself up to be angry, but you, in your heart, have become an angry person or a bitter person or whatever the the adjective you want to install is. Rarely will you ask somebody about uh, uh, a struggle that they're having with their temperament or their their just their their discipline or whatever the case may be, and they will talk about the fact that you know they they realize that that on the inside there's some things that just aren't right. We immediately begin to look outside and shift blame and start pointing our fingers uh, to to outside things, but that is a total contradiction of Scripture. The things that we struggle with in our marriages, the the way that we talk to our spouses, the the things that we convince ourselves about all of these external reasons why. That if, if they would change, I would change. Or if this wasn't this way, then I wouldn't be the way I am. Jesus simply says, no, it's the abundance of your heart that is determining the things that come out of your mouth. And, and that's just our EKG. We can simply, just like an EKG, we'll tell you some things about your heart. But you can just watch a person's life and you can see the decline of their failing health as their heart leads them astray or leaves them hanging. Well, the same thing is true spiritually, that we can discern that something's wrong from the words, but it's just watching as the life careens down that, that it's, it's a spiritual problem, that it's impacting every other area, that, that this heart really is the seat of everything in our personhood and the determining factor of everything about the way that we regulate ourselves, the way that we manage our, our emotions and our behavior, all of it stems from the heart. And so with regards to our children, we ignore this simple fact because for the same reason that we ignore it in our other relationships, because it it well, let's face it, it's not easy. You see. Dealing with you on a heart level is, is a time-consuming process. And so we, we, we're in too much of a hurry and we don't have time. And, and if our heart's not right, then it's those, the things that aren't right in our heart are going to project themselves onto our children just as the people that we're pointing to for the reason that we're broken so we just break another generation in the same way. We don't stop and take a deep breath and start analyzing, well, now what's really going on in my heart and the hearts of the people around me. We're not uh, so many uh, young people grow up in the church and as soon as the, the high school season of their life is over and they go off uh, on their own they walk away from the Lord. And I wonder why they do that. I wonder what is that symptomatic of? It's symptomatic of people who grew up in the church but who who never dealt with the gospel on a heart level that they had a set of of uh, systems around them sort of a, a set of rules and regulations that would keep them in line but as soon as the system was removed they didn't have anything to restrain them and then it just turned into a disaster Whereas what I'm pleading with you this morning to do is to deal with each other on a heart level. And especially with regards to our children as they grow up, to speak and to direct and to parent them based on their heart. Therefore, it will stay with them throughout the course of their life, no matter where they go and no matter what they do. You see, uh, certainly if the heart is the wellspring of all of life, wouldn't it make sense that our number one focus would be our children's hearts. I mean, if they change, and their change is first in behavior, although that meets our need, although that satisfies us like a a Krispy Kreme donut, it instantaneously gratifies us when our children behave well. But if it wasn't change on a heart level, then it's just short-lived temporary change. They're just changing for the the immediate reward of the moment. But as soon as, you, as soon as you're taken out of the equation, the change disappears. If change begins in the heart, then it's a lasting change. It's not some altered behavior, but it's an internal transformation. So Jesus talks about these trees. He uses this common metaphor. We won't spend too much time here. We've talked a lot about this through the book of Galatians. But we do need to have a conversation about these trees. And so if you have a, a tree in your yard and it produces a, a, uh, uh, some sort of fruit. Maybe you have a, a, free, a fig tree or an apple tree or some sort of tree, a pear tree in your yard. And this tree, every year it produces fruit. But the fruit is uh, terrible. It's bitter. It's unedible. It's uh, worthless. It's worthless. Now, the fruit's there, but it's just no good. And year after year, you keep hoping for this tree to turn around and start producing good fruit so you can enjoy it and you can bake pies with it and you can can and preserve all this amazing bounty that the the fruit produces. Or maybe you look across the fence line at your neighbor's place and you see his trees and you see them enjoying these wonderful uh, apple pies and apple fritters and apple sauce and apple everything, and you've got nothing because your tree stinks. It won't produce anything. What are you going to do? How are you going to approach this problem with your tree? You're you're not going to walk out there and begin to to exert some external force upon this tree that's going to make this fruit good. There's not going to be any. You you know intuitively that there's no quick fix. That you can't go out there and yell at the tree. That's not going to help anything. You can't go out there and kick the tree. That's not going to help anything. You can go out there and you can try to restrain it and punish the tree. I don't know, you know, put a bunch of squirrels in it or wrap some fence tightly around it. That's not going to do any good for it. It's not going to change the fruit of it. You can you can go down to Walmart and you can buy a whole bunch of beautiful, juicy, ripe pears and you can come home and you can go out there and you can duct tape those pears all over that tree. And you can stand back and go inside and get your wife and say, "Honey, look I fixed our tree. Look at our tree. Isn't that amazing?" And again, you'll have a momentary moment of gratification, but you have not fixed the internal problem. That in order to change the the dynamics of the fruit that's being produced by that tree, you have to work on a root level. You have to be committed to it. See, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that too many parents, in the busyness of their life, are looking at their child as this little tree, that's, that, that their job is to raise up to produce this amazing fruit. And they just simply don't want to fool with it. It's just too much. So they just start gluing stuff on it. Because when you glue a bunch of good fruit on it, then everybody that bumps into you says, Oh, look at... Oh, your kid's doing so good. And they behave so well. And they do all these because they can see all that. But what they don't know is you're taping all that fruit on there. That it's not coming from the inside. That you... You see, most of us, what we would do is we would just cut the tree down, let's be honest, and plant another one. Mainly, I certainly would because I don't have any idea how to re- rehab a tree. But some of you do. I could call you to come over to my house. And you would, you would say, okay, here's a concoction of things that we can begin to put into the soil of the tree that are going to be able to help the tree and make the tree healthy and resolve the problem that the tree is having. And you could nurse that tree to become a tree that's healthy. But it's not going to be this quick fix problem. It's going to be a long, arduous process of finding out what is wrong with this tree internally and allowing it to work from the inside out. It's the exact same thing with a struggling marriage. It's the exact same thing with people that you love that you find yourself constantly at odds with. You see, the tree that produces a, a, a pear or A plum or whatever it is. It can only produce that because that's what it is in its core. That's what it is made to be. And so it's going to produce that fruit and only that fruit. And it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. And that's just the way it is because that's how God made it. Well, God made our children. He gave you your children. He gave me my children to produce fruit. And he gave them to us to produce good fruit. Now, they're going to produce fruit. It's either going to be good fruit or bad fruit because they're made to produce fruit. Everyone produces fruit. Well, what's it going to be, good fruit or bad fruit? How do we determine, what what can we do to to come alongside our children and to do everything we possibly can as parents to ensure that they produce good fruit? Well, I think that uh, we need to avoid some of the common sort of external remedies that we employ in in parenting now these are these are the three things that are most commonly seen uh, amongst uh, our parenting styles there's obviously a list that could go on forever but I just want to bring three things to your attention and help you just begin to think through these three things the first thing is threatening the threat Now, when your child is not doing what they ought to be doing, when you are frustrated with their behavior and you want their behavior to be a certain way that their behavior is not, then one of the ways that you would externally try to glue some fruit on this foul tree is by threatening. You see, because you're big and you're scary to a small child, and so you can get a lot accomplished by threatening. You can, you can, I mean, let's face it. I mean, when my children were small, man, I could get them to do anything. Because I can be a big, intimidating, scary guy. But something changed. You see, sometimes my son walks in from work. And I think, wow, he is a big, intimidating, scary guy. as I look up to him. I remember when my mother lost all control of me as a young man. She was able to, to keep the reins on me for a time. But basically as a single mother that worked all the time, I didn't have any positive influences in my life whatsoever. It didn't take long for me to be when I was about 12 years old I no longer was afraid of her. She physically couldn't do anything to me that I didn't allow her to do. She had absolutely, she, the tables turned. I was in control. And she could say to me anything she wanted to say. And I could, listen or not listen, there was absolutely nothing she could do about it. Nothing. You see, threatening is a horrible, horrible Uh, cycle to get in because it will lull you in when they're small and you'll begin to see some immediate gratification from it but it's not going to yield what you want it to yield don't threaten your children i know that it's attractive early on don't don't threaten your spouse don't use the threat to try to produce the fruit that you desire When you know that that fruit didn't genuinely grow on the tree in which you are desiring for it to grow on. The second one is manipulation. Uh, This is where, you know, if you do these certain things and I'll do these certain things. Or you could just use the word bribery here. Where we, we manipulate our children to behave a certain way or to do certain things. And I mean, this is a common practice that carries a lot of people that grew up in an environment of of manipulation then carry this right into their marriage. I'm astonished by how many grown people that I sit down and I'm having conversations about their marriage relationships and there's all of this crazy manipulation going on between a husband and a wife. And so we have to start from the beginning again and, and, and realize, now wait a minute, the Bible says that you're One flesh. So do you realize how schizophrenic it is for you to be manipulating each other? I mean, you think about that for a while. You to continue to live that way as one flesh. I mean, how could you ever expect to end up anywhere but in a straight jacket? It's crazy. But we do that because we've been accustomed to it. We project that onto our children. We we try to try to get them to to behave a certain way or to to do certain things and so what we do is we know there's something that they want and then there's something that we want and so if we get what we want then they'll get what they want now it seems like a fair enough you know transaction I can remember getting you know sucked into this uh, vortex with my own children as I was learning this myself realizing that man that's a that's a problem see I always thought that well if I could get them to do something that was good then whatever means I used to get them there were justifiable because they were doing something that was good no it was terrible I remember realizing my goodness am I I've got to stop that is such a terrible uh, process to start in our children you see if if you teach your son for example that he should do good in, for the reward of something else good. What happens to that young man when he begins to uh, be interested in girls? How does the young man who has grown up in a culture of manipulation handle dating? How does that young man choose a wife? Is it any wonder that we have young men who simply uh, look for uh, someone to date or even someone to marry based on what they're going to gain from the relationship? It's because that's what they've been conditioned to do since they were small children. That, well, getting married is a good thing. So I'll do this good thing, but what am I going to get out of it? And so they have these these completely insane criteria for their relationships. Same thing is true about a a young girl that grows up in a culture of, well, if if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. You see how horrific the consequences of that are the longer that it uh, carries on throughout life? See, you don't want to do that i used to uh, I used to do things like um, you know i would I would want my children to go above and beyond you know i'd want them to to not just read the Bible but you know not just uh, listening to, to the things that I was teaching them but but even you know go further than that and further than that and so i all of my sermon series you know all of my from my youth ministry days I had all of those were were on cds and things and so I would tell my kids they would they would want to earn money for something and I would say well I tell you what you listen to this sermon series about whatever it is and you know write me a little thing about it and I'll you know buy this thing for you and see in my mind that seemed like such a good thing to do but as I really began to grow in my understanding of the heart, I realized that that's a terrible thing to do because what what happens is if we're not careful, they'll grow up and they will approach things like reading the bible or or studying the Bible or doing things like that with reward and have you ever thought about where in the New testament does uh does jesus or one of the apostles preach a sermon and use heaven as a motivation you don't find that it's just the the glory and the reality of god that motivates people to be the people that god called them to be the fact that you can know god and love god and walk with god that he knows you and loves you that that, that the motivation is god himself in scripture but we twist that around and it begins in our homes when our kids are small by bribing them or manipulating them. And the third one is guilt. Uh, the, guilt is a, is a very powerful tool. Because guilt is part of the... the uh, it's part of our Christian experience and process. That, that God uses guilt in our life. But you see, God uses it very differently than we use it in the lives of our children. See... God, we do something wrong, and then we feel guilty before God, and then that guilt, if it's godly guilt, it then leads to repentance. But in parenting and in our interpersonal relationships, what we do is we use guilt just for the end result. We just use the guilt to get what we want. The guilt is not not using; uh, is not a tool that's used to get us to repentance. And so what happens is we... Uh, have this unbiblical belief that remorse is the equivalent of repentance. And it's not. It's not. That a lot of people feel remorseful for a lot of things, but they're not repentant. That repentance is a turning. It's a turning. And it's interestingly, the word means a turn of the heart. It's a turning of the heart. And so we don't want to bring about uh, guilt upon our children or upon our, our spouses or in our families and use that as a weapon to get what we want we know that, how do you know when guilt is a problem in your home well, you can, there's certain uh, telltale signs if your child is, is uh, if you've been using guilt against your child, your child will be very quick to uh, blame shift to a different direction we'll say yes I know what I did was wrong but see that's guilt Yes, I, I know I shouldn't have done that, but is it really wrong? We we start redefining what's right and wrong in our minds because we've we've allowed guilt to creep into our families and into our relationships and create all of these uh these sort of pseudo-repentance experiences, but they don't yield anything. Repentance is a it's it's, just a, it's not a vague sense of guilt. That's not at all what it is. The power of repentance is that we come before a holy God, we uncover our sin, and God covers it. That's how repentance works. If you don't understand what repentance is, I'm explaining it to you right now. It's this simple. Repentance is we come before God, and we uncover our sin, and then God covers it. That's what repentance is. You see, when we confess our sin is against God and God primarily, and then God covers that sin, and then we it that and then we change. We change because of that. But when we're secretive, we try to hide our sin, we try to we try to hold things in, and, and we have reasons for doing these things. But what good are those reasons? The guilt is there to bring us to repentance. You see, all of these things together, whether it's threatening or using manipulation or guilt, all of these things together, they're all going to lead you down the path you don't want to go. Because Scripture is going to teach you in a thousand different ways, in a thousand different ways, Old Testament, New Testament, the, the, the resounding truth that we can never, ever ask the law to do what only grace can do. The law simply can't do what grace can do. And so you can have all the law in the world, but law in and of itself will not bring about the change that will be lasting and real. It won't bring heart change. The law simply reveals sin. And so you you have laws and you establish laws, and then when people break those laws, the reason that they know they've broken the law is because you've established the law. But if the law in and of itself was enough, then, then wouldn't our prisons be empty? And yet they're bursting at the seams. Why does our problem continue to get worse? Because the law in and of itself will not do it. Your children for a time will obey you because of fear. They will follow your rules because of your anger and because of your bitterness and because of your, or your manipulation or your guilt for a time. But it will only be for a time. It will not be a heart change. Rules will never alone, in and of themselves, change the heart of your child. And so what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to think about how do, we, how, do we, how do we get to the heart issues? How do we speak into the heart of, our, of, our, of each other in our families? How do we really find out what's, what's really going on? Well, I think one of the things you want to do in your families is is that your family has to be a place where it's safe for confession. A family is a place that there's always space for confession. Now, this seems very simple, but it's very important. What happens when there's confession in your home? What is the general response to confession? When a person, when your child begins to own the personal responsibility for their words and their behavior, what that tells me is that they're being raised by parents who are owning their personal responsibility for their words and their behavior. That as your heart is is. As you're guarding your heart, you're then going to find yourself with leverage to speak into the hearts of others, and you're going to be able to create an environment where there's space for confession, for people to, to own their failures, to take responsibility, to not make excuses, and to not blame others, and then together for there to be some collaborative effort to move forward. You see? The more I thought about this, and the more I've uh, just gone through this in my mind, and I'm, I've been so grateful that uh, so many of you have uh, been through these uh, parenting studies in your Sunday school classes. The more I've wondered, as you've gone through them, have they not impacted your marriage relationship? I don't see how they couldn't. Uh, because so much of what is broken in our adult interpersonal relationships is what exactly I'm addressing in the way that we deal with our small children. Children cannot confess something that they don't see. How are they going to see it? They're going to see it because somebody is dealing with their heart. They're never going to see that by your ranting and your raving and your screaming and your yelling. They're not going to see that by your threatening or your manipulating. They're not going to see that by the guilt trip that you're putting everybody on in order to get them to do the things you want them to do. That is not going to illuminate the depravity of their heart that's going to cause them to to come to you, to confess to you, to take ownership for their sin, and then for together... For you to walk through a process of repentance and restoration. Now as I say that, isn't that... I mean, how many of you are sitting here listening this morning thinking, My gosh, that's what I need in my marriage. What happens when you, when you confess to your spouse that, you know, this or that or the other? What, what, is, the, what is the ensuing dialogue... Do you pounce on the, the other person and begin to just beat them down as to what they and just, you know, over and over just drill into the fact that they failed and that they they've come to you and confessed. You see how unhealthy that is? That we're together, we're a team. We're not against each other. We're together. And so oftentimes, spiritually, we're working against one another. Here's what the Bible says about this process of the heart with regards to sin in Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, if you look at those two passages of Scripture in Hebrews and you just analyze what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what God is speaking to us, and you just, like, I I look at that and I think about it in reverse. I think about the end result is this this hardening by the deceitfulness of sin. But how did that happen? Well, because we haven't been, we, we need to be exhorting each other. We need to be encouraging each other every day so that doesn't happen. And we don't want to be a people that that has a heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. And so... What we need to be doing to protect ourselves from that is that we need to be eradicating sin in our life, encouraging one another, and making a way in the immediacy of today. We don't need to be saying, you know, that right now I'm so stressed out and I've got a new job and I'm under a lot of pressure and all these things are going on and I just don't really have time to get involved in all these situations that are going on in my children's lives, but, but I'll deal with that in the future. No, the Bible says today... That right now is the time to deal with these things. Lest your heart will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So sin is therefore deceitful. And how does it deceive the human being? What is the mechanism? So in other words, sin, the Bible says, is deceitful. None of us are going to argue that. So let's just think practically for just a moment about this. Who does sin deceive first? Not not your spouse, not your kids, you. The first person that's deceived by sin is us. And how does sin deceive us according to Scripture? Through our heart. Because the heart is the wellspring of all of life. And so sin is going to deceive you first and foremost through your heart. And then you're going to become hardened. You see... We're, this is why we so readily see the sin in other people and are so slow to see the sin in ourselves because we've been deceived by sin. That we, there, there, there are these certain unconscionable sins, these certain sins that bother us so greatly that we don't seem to have any tolerance for anyone who struggles with certain things, but we're just slinging stones in a glass house. In other words, who made you and me the determiner of of the categories of sin? That what we need to be uh, aware of is the fact that all of us are sinful. All of us. And certainly within the context of our families, that we're raising little natural born sinners. That's what we're raising. And if the goal is to parent them through the heart so that they will grow up and have an abiding, lasting, unshakable relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we don't want to do is we don't want to deceive ourselves through sin. We don't want to, ma- we need to deal with our own hearts first, and then we need to address their heart whenever we're dealing with them. We need to ask them questions. When they're doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, like you come into the room, don't start shouting and screaming and yelling and doling out all of the parameters that you have the capacity to dole out. Stop, sit down, look your child in the eye, and ask them some questions. What is going on? What are you feeling right now? It sounds kind of ridiculous because what you're thinking is it doesn't matter what they're feeling because what they're doing is wrong. But it does matter. What are they feeling? Because again, their actions were predicated by their heart. So you just begin to address the heart. Now they're, even when they're young, they don't know how to answer that question. But you're just, you're just instilling in yourself and in them this, what, is, what are you feeling? What's going on? What? And then you begin to, then you probe into, okay, what happened? And you know that No one's going to give the exact, you know, our children are never going to give us the exact unbiased uh, uh, play-by-play of what happened before we came into the room. The point is not to get to the bottom of every detail of that. The point is simply to engage your child and find out, well, okay, well, what's going on from your perspective? What's going on in your heart? What's happening? And then why did you respond the way that you responded? And then now that you've responded in this way, okay, what are the the ramifications of this response? You see, but we make it personal. We address our children and our spouses too oftentimes like they've sinned against us. We're not God. It's not our law that they've primarily broken. We may be humiliated and ashamed and embarrassed by it, but it's not our law. And so, you know, so oftentimes I just have to take a deep breath and I just have to step back and I just have to realize some things about what's really going on in my life. See, for me, I have to just say first and foremost that I'm, I'm very sensitive about these issues because I feel all of your eyes peering into my family so if I'm not careful, I will allow the pressure of that to impact the way that I manage the relationships of the people that I love. See, because in some way, there's this, this, this thing inside of me that wants to have a perfect family. But if you've raised teenagers then you know it's just a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And that for all of us, it's hard. And that that too many times a conversation about parenting turns into a a conversation of uh, the listener going away feeling defeated and condemned. No, no, we're all in this together. All of us. And all of us face huge struggles. And, and as I think about these families dedicating these children, even in the, even in the, the very careful time that I put into crafting the words that we, that we commit before God, the reality of that is, is that I know that, that they can't do that. They can't do that unless God works through them and it's the same thing for me and it's the same thing for you let me illustrate it to you this way when you discover sin in the life of someone that you love when you catch your children in a lie rather than responding and anger. Have you, have you ever considered how it is that you discovered that that sin exists in the life of the person that you care for? Was it because of your ingenuity? Was it because of your cleverness and sneakiness? No. It's because a sovereign God who loves you and who loves your family has illuminated your eyes to the reality of something that's going on in their life. And he's putting you in that position to be an instrument of redemption in that process. You understand? That you didn't just happen to bust your kids in that lie. That God revealed that to you so that you as a person of influence could rightly respond as His hands and feet in their life and redeem that moment in time and bring about some healing and growth and nurturing. And the same thing is true in your marriage. That when you you find out that there's this weakness, that there's this... Void, that there's a crater or a cavity in the, in the marriage relationship. Why, would, why do you respond with, with anger and frustration? And did, were you really under the uh, impression that you had a perfect relationship? Because if you were, you're delusional. And the fact that God has brought you to a place to be able to see what's actually going on is is an act of His grace and His mercy in your life for you to then be... Because what would be the worst thing? The worst thing is for you not to know. Don't you see? That God allows us to know the things that are going on in each other's lives so that we can be His instrument of grace and redemption in those areas. That doesn't mean that those conversations are easy. That doesn't mean that they're not painful at times. That doesn't mean that we don't dread them. But they're a gift nonetheless. This is what the Bible teaches us about being the people of God. That the only way this tree is going to produce good fruit is that something has to change at the root level. And so if all you want is peace in your home, well, you're never going to get it. Because if you keep sweeping everything under the rug and keep pretending that all these things don't exist so that you can just, everybody just get along and be peaceful. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. It's just going to fester. And every time it comes up, you're just throwing your fist up at a graceful God who's saying, no, I'm showing you this for a reason. Are you saying that my grace is not sufficient? Are you saying that I am am incapable of bringing healing into this? Because he's not. And so this is the way that we should interact with each other. When you you see a glaring weakness or a, a blind spot in the life of one of your children or someone in your home, it's because God has shown you that so what you need to do is respond by saying okay God what do I do now what do I do now I could keep you here all day and just over and over confess to you all the ways in which I've learned this in my own home just watching watching my wife and watching her behavior and her actions and noticing that, that sometimes the way that I am impacts uh, negatively her. And, and though she doesn't say anything, the fact that I see that, I realize that's not because I'm brilliant or intelligent or smart. It's because God is revealing that to me that I need to address that. And say, honey, listen, if, if I'm saying something or doing something, or if I'm making you feel like your opinion doesn't matter or or I'm not grateful or whatever the case may be then we need to talk about that and resolve that because I don't want that to be true. And the same thing goes for our children. Oh. How is your heart this morning? You woke up this morning and you prepared yourself to come to church this morning. What's going on inside of your heart? Are there people that you're upset with? Is there someone that you're angry with? Are you frustrated with things? Is there some individual that's causing you to be just very anxious and frustrated? Because what's happening is you're being affected at the heart level by something. And the Bible says you need to guard your heart. You need to guard. Don't overlook the words that are used in your home. Those words, they come from the heart. No matter what moment they're spoken in, they're a little EKG as to spiritually what's going on. See, we're in this together. And so we need, to, we need to walk together as the people of God and love each other as He would have us to love each other and encourage one another. And that, you know, I, we, don't, we don't come today to say, congratulations, you had a baby. Now raise them for the glory of God go get them tiger. No. We say together we're gonna walk in this trench together. That those uh, the the students that will celebrate their graduation next Sunday that many of them have grown up in this church their whole life. And that on average that's between three and four thousand hours of influence that this faith family has had upon their lives that's pretty significant over the course of those 18 years you see that's important that matters tonight we're going to celebrate our awana ministry some young people are going to win the timothy award they're, they're, they're going to receive an award for memorizing hundreds and hundreds of verses. Maybe you don't have a, a, a child in the Iwana ministry. And so you think, well, this is a good night for you to take off from church. No, this would be the worst night for you to miss. You see, because they need to know that you care about them and that you support them and that they matter. You need to be here to cheer them on and to say, way to go. And and every time they say so-and-so's name and they completed their first book, the significance of that moment, that what's drilled deeply into our heart as children, won't depart from us when we're grown. So how is your heart? Maybe this morning you just need to come before God and say, Lord, I just needed to hear that. And I haven't been guarding my heart. I've got all these crazy things going on. And before we get afraid of all the the consequences or ramifications of this, we first just come to God and say, God, all of this is primarily between me and you first. And once I've resolved this with you, then, then I can resolve it with anyone because it's you and you alone that I've sinned against. God gave you your children. You don't think that he's standing arms open ready to jump in and help you fully in every possible way. You think your situation or circumstances caught him off guard no. It hasn't. Thank God for for you who 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 parent our children, you Sunday school teachers. Thank God for you, you, you youth workers. Thank God for those who are parenting our kids right now in kingdom kids and in the preschool ministry. Don't you see? We're in this together. We all live in a glass house. We're not throwing stones at anyone. We're in this together. But what matters above all things is what's going on in our heart. Let's stand and bow our heads.